The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. again everybody and welcome to this week's dan scott show as always as you just heard presented by our 501c3 nonprofit organization grand slam ministries i am dan this is episode 58 of our i still think it's a brand new venture called the dan scott show and uh, as is usually the case i think we've got another fantastic guest lined up for you today. I hope you're doing well. I hope you've had a great week so far and that 2024 is off to a good start. If it is, we'll try not to mess it up. If maybe it's been a bit of a slow start to the new year, we will see if we can do something to raise your spirits a little bit through the course of this program and the interview we have for you. And as always, we try to learn something we did not know and that usually starts right here in the captain's chair. Our guest today is a longtime college baseball coach that I first ran across a number of years ago. Rusty Strap, uh, for 19 seasons, his primary job was at Gardner-Webb University. He had a number of coaching stops prior to that. But just a, a few years ago, Rusty retired, and he's now gone into education, but he's also serving as an interim pastor at a church. And that is his ministry calling. When churches are looking for new pastors, his calling is to go in and be an interim. So he's at one church now. He will be at another church at some point in the future, just providing leadership and continuity as an interim pastor. It's an intriguing ministry field that he finds himself in and the way that his coaching career coincides and intertwines with shepherding a flock right now is a very, very intriguing conversation. So we'll get to Rusty Strap when we come back in just a moment. But first, as always, here's something about Grand Slam Ministries. Every day there are children who leave school on Friday and eat little and sometimes nothing until they come back to school on Monday. It happens in every community, including yours. Many of these children live in circumstances that deprive them of basic needs necessary for a quality life. At Grand Slam Ministries, we want to change that. We want to invest in our children, giving them hope for the future. That investment includes necessities such as food, clothing, school supplies, and a safe environment to play, to study, to live. Please visit our website, GrandSlamMinistries.org, to find out more about our ministry and how you can help. We're just getting started. Will you come alongside us for the children's sake? Again, that's GrandSlamMinistries.org. Like what you hear? Have a question or comment? Maybe a guest suggestion? Drop us an email and let us know. Dan at DanScottShow.org. And now, back to the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries.
We are just getting things cranked up on this 58th edition of the Dan Scott Show. Hey, as I like to do at this time, just a reminder that if you want to find out more about who we are and what we are all about, if you would like to access all of our previous interviews going all the way back to the very first episode we did on January the 8th of 2023, it's all available at danscottshow.org. Navigate to the Affiliates and Archives page and you will find everything you need there, plus some bonus stuff via my SoundCloud, which is also linked there. And again, I remind you that we want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback on some of the guests that we've had in recent weeks. Uh, You can do that, dan at danscottshow.org, or you can interact with us via our social media. All of that is listed on the website as well. All right, let's get to it. Rusty Strap, as I mentioned, longtime college baseball coach, now is teaching at a community college in North Carolina, but also is serving as an interim pastor at a church now, and that is his ministry, and we're going to get into all of that. As we normally do when I record the interviews, we do them via Zoom, so I can see who I'm talking to. It just seems to add something to uh, the conversation when you can actually see someone, uh, as I'm sure you know. But this one, uh, we open up talking about he's in his office, and yet he is sitting in this massive recliner-type easy chair. And I'm thinking, man, he has taken retirement to the next level. Here's our conversation. So the easy chair is in my office at Catawba Valley Community College up in Hickory, North Carolina, where I'm a sociology professor now and i do that and it seems like based on coaching that this is like half as much time but i I am very passionate about it love it but um to explain the recliner real quick uh i'm in the big chair because i had it in here for students to come in to relax in case they needed to talk to me and i had a little swivel chair and i'm kind of off campus a little bit so no students came so one day i just switched the chairs and the rest is history but um I'm doing this now, uh, and I'm also, as we will talk about, I got ordained in 2019, and I, I'm basically transitional minister for churches that are in transition. I'm basically an interim until they find a permanent uh, pastor, but I did, uh, before 2019, I coached those 33 years of college baseball and, um, and, and did that for many years and, and played at Appalachian State. Whenever I was in college, I know I'm kind of moving backwards. I might be jumping the gun on you, but I am uh, feeling like this is uh, a great blessing to me since getting out of coaching. I have not had a day where I felt like I made a a poor decision because God told me it was time to get out. And now I really feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do at this point in my life. Yeah, and I want to talk about how maybe those things overlap and lessons learned from from one can help you uh, in the other. But uh, I, I first came across you uh, when you were the head baseball coach at Gardner-Webb, and uh, I was broadcasting first for Clemson and and, and yep. then uh, and still uh, at Furman uh, and uh, coming up and, and uh, watching your teams battle Ron Smith's teams and, and then Brett Harker after, after he took over. They always love mm-hmm. coming 
to your facility, even though, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what we broadcasters do, Rusty. I'm going to gripe a little bit. The uh, visiting, visiting radio booth had a window about this big to look out of, to, 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 uh, to call the game, but we made it through. And I always love coming up there because uh, we were always treated very, very well. And it's always good baseball. Yeah, and I would say that I had a lot to do, um, many blood, sweat, and tears to get the, the stadium designed because before 2011, it was the worst in Division One. Uh, but I didn't have anything to do with the size of the windows in the press box, so I'm going to pass that off on somebody else. Plausible deniability. I love yeah, it. <laughs> that's what you call it. Uh, how did you fall in love with the game of baseball? Because up until 2019, obviously, it was your life. It was for the first uh, 49 years of my life. I was six years old. Uh, I grew up in Cherville, North Carolina, which is the baseball capital of the world, or at least we think we are and were. Um, and so my mom took me to, uh, I th- she was a school teacher. I was six years old. I was home for the summer, and I think she wanted to get rid of me each morning. But she actually came and stayed and took me down to this little club where they had teams. Um, I don't want to make this story too long, but at six years old, I started playing on a little team called the Pirates, which started my lifelong obsession with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I was absolutely terrible. Um, I could not hit a ball. I couldn't catch a ball, but I loved it. And I know my mom laughs even today about thinking that every day when I came walking up that hill after our practice or our little games, because you did it five days a week. That would be the day I would say, I don't want to do this anymore. But every day we got in that car and she would say, did you have fun? I said, it was great. And she was thinking, wow, he can't hit a ball at all. And so she, I give her credit for that passion because she kept lifting me back up every day and encouraging me. And by the time I was seven, I was starting to hit the ball and catch the ball. And by the time I was eight, I was one of the better ones on the team and uh, really, yeah, that started my love for baseball, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else after that. Yeah, you know, before Cal Ripken came along, I guess the the prototypical shortstop was a uh, great glove, light hitting, and uh, sounds yeah. like that's what you were as a seven year old or a six year old. But you kind of graduated yeah. beyond that. And I was, except it wasn't the great glove. Uh, <laughs> well, you were consistent. Yeah, and I. I, what, yeah, I was consistent. I, I think that coach uh, was a little type A, and I know he was frustrated with me. It, and I'm being very honest. I really – I remember it very distinctly. Uh, I hit a foul ball one time, and I was so excited. Uh, during a little game, I fouled one off toward the bench, and it almost hit the coach. And then I got a walk that I was excited about, and then the great day happened when I was six. I hit a fair ball ground ball to the first baseman and he tagged the base before I was halfway to first, but it was the greatest moment of my baseball career <laughs> up to that point. Um, I, I will say this about um, parents and, and baseball. I never got pushed. I never got prodded. I got encouraged and I never got forced to do anything, but my parents were great about supporting me all the way through school. And of course, my career took a, a better turn after six playing on some state championship teams and then coaching. And I would encourage parents to do that. Be very careful how much you're prodding or pressuring children because you can destroy the love of the game real quick like that. Yeah. And, and I know that uh, even as a college coach, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit later on, you probably had to deal with some uh, things with parents that you would rather not have had to to deal with. And uh, I, I coached 
uh, American Legion for a while and some other things. And parents are wonderful. Uh, yes. And at the same time, they can be very taxing. Both. They can. Yes. <laughs> uh, I would say I was, I was very fortunate as a coach and that my, the parents that I had, uh, over the years leaned more toward the being wonderful, but there, there were some time, every coach is going to encounter right. some of that. Absolutely. Visiting with uh, rusty strap, who was very successful college baseball coach and, and now, uh, a sociology professor and an interim pastor. Uh, and we'll talk about that coming up in a bit. Um, after that first foray into baseball, when did you start to realize that, hey, I might be pretty good at this game? Um, so I, I played uh, and, and started doing better, and I really enjoyed it. And I think my first love for baseball was more following it than it was playing it. I didn't mm-hmm. have delusions about being in the major leagues. Now, I did the same thing every young man did in the carport uh, in on the you know in the backyard or whatever I played the seventh game of the World Series and got the winning hit 50 times I'm sure and I was Willie Stargell because I was all about the Pirates but I began to be obsessively following the newspaper each day because you couldn't see games on TV in 1971 and the Pirates were in the World Series and I just fell in love with every statistic and every bit of history of baseball and then of course I wanted to play and about Little League, when I was 11, I made the Little League All-Stars and then made it again when I was 12. And uh, I was the starting second baseman for that All-Star team. And eventually the coach in ninth grade switched me in the shortstop and I became shortstop and he was second baseman. And we both played Division One baseball later. But I think somewhere around 11 years old, I started thinking, you know, this game's starting to come around to me where I'm. I've got some athletic ability here and I've certainly got some drive. And I say that humbly because Mm -hmm. there were guys better than me, but I I began to realize that I could be uh, pretty good if I'd really put a lot of hard work and heart into it. Who poured into you? Because we all have people at that age, if we're going to be good, who, who coach us and and hopefully coach us in the right way, who, who poured into you, who mentored you during your formative years, maybe even through high school? Yeah, so I, I was very fortunate. I had a fantastic little league coach. And back then, this is the early 70s, you played from nine uh, years old till 12. So when I showed up at nine years old and the 12-year-olds had already started puberty, you know, I was a little bitty thing and didn't get to play a whole lot. But then when I was 10, my coach was one of those coaches who didn't have a son on the team, was just an older gentleman that loved baseball taught us the game. We practiced every day. We knew how to win. We, we won the Little League Championship the one year. And he really taught me some things that I ended up teaching to players in college. But the one thing he was, was he's always very encouraging. Um, now, he would get on us if we were slack. But for the most part, I felt very comfortable around him. And he had these little things he would say to us that were encouraging um, that I I felt uplifted being around him and like this is a fun game he wanted to make sure we had a good time but he also wanted to make sure we did it right and by the time I got to junior high and I still am in touch with my junior high coach um, he was fantastic and we share stories even now 
um, eighth and ninth grade. Like he was tough, but that guy loved us. Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually coached me in football, basketball, and baseball. I, I, I was around him more than I was around my family and vice versa. And he taught me how to compete with everything I've got. But the thing I learned from him was when, when something went wrong in my life or in baseball, uh, that arm went on my shoulder and that arm went around me telling me everything's going to be okay. Sometimes after he chewed me out, great high school coach, Henry Jones, great Legion coach, Don Sane. We won the state in Legion and high school and then Jim Morris in college. I think I learned a little bit from every coach about what kind of coach I wanted to be. And mm -hmm. that wasn't just baseball. I had some football and basketball coaches as well that, that really poured into me and were always encouraging to me and put me in my place when I needed it too. Which maybe is another rabbit trail we can go down a little bit later uh, as yeah. we continue visiting with uh, with Rusty Strap. All right, that's how you fell in love with baseball. Tell me how you fell in love with Jesus. So, yeah, I, I grew up, had great parents, uh, still do. My parents are still hanging in there and doing well and, and traveling back and forth to Florida in the winter in their 80s now. Um, but I grew up in church. Um, we were expected to go to Sunday school in church. I never remember a time feeling that that was a drudgery. I, I had friends there, um, the youth group, and, and then we would sit in church and sometimes I got a little squirmy like every other kid, but it really soaked in uh, to me. But and we got went through confirmation at 12. But what really happened to me to where I really claimed it personally was when I went off to college at App State. And as is the case for some folks um, a lot, uh, you're away from those influences, you're away from your family, and you get drawn into some other things. And I just kind of looked at myself about the fall of my sophomore year and just kind of looked at myself in the mirror and said, like, who are you? Like, this is not who you are. You've, and I remember driving one time and got lost and I was thinking, well, I should pray Lord to help. And I remember kind of looking up and this is right around that time I'm talking about looking up. And as soon as my head looked up in my car, I, it went straight back down my chin to my chest. Cause I felt very ashamed of the, of who I'd become. So, I resolved at that moment to surrender. Um, I believe that I was in love with the Lord way before that, because I remember as a child, some very important things happening to me that were deep, but it was a prodigal thing. And I remember coming back and feeling that forgiveness and that love even deeper than I ever had before. And that December of 1983, when I was 20, I recommitted my life to the Lord. And it's been a different road ever since. Visiting with uh, Rusty Strap, um, former baseball coach at Gardner Webb University, which is where I first came uh, in contact with him, and uh, now a sociology professor and also an interim pastor. Uh, did you ever think that in your wildest dreams, I, I can see maybe you thought there there was uh, uh, an educational aspect of what your career might end up being, but did you ever think? that there was any part of you that wanted to be a pastor or did you, was that on your radar at all? Uh, the back of the radar, uh, <laughs> because uh, in youth group and in high school, they would have, uh, and many churches still do this, once a year they would have Youth Sunday. Um, and they always asked me and one other of my real close friends my age, um, 
to be the ones who to give the message like he would give one i would give one because neither one of us could go that long um and i, I remember the pastor at the time coming up and say you just might end up being in the ministry someday and i remember thinking but i'm wanting to be in sports um and i want to be a teacher i want to be a high school history teacher and a uh i wasn't even sure i was gonna coach then i didn't know if i was good enough to but uh yeah i think over the years what ended up happening is that the sports the coaching thing gave me a platform and i got asked uh, many times to come and speak to youth groups to church groups to uh to spiritual gatherings and I began to feel that as a calling. And then there was a pastor, essentially, when I moved to Gardner-Webb, my pastor, when I moved, said, you know, don't run from what God's wanting you to do. And I said, yeah, I know. And he, he said, "That's I think that's in your future. And I said, for now, I want to be in the ministry, but I want it to be in my sport. I feel like God's leading me. He said, that's great. I think someday you'll be in a pulpit somewhere. And so... Well, I had real good encouragement from people, but yes, that tugging was kind of always there in the background, but I, I knew when the time was right that God would nudge me, and that was in 2019. And yet all of those years you were coaching collegiately, and, and the bulk of that obviously was spent at Gardner-Webb. You had some stops before there as you worked your way up, but all those years you were coaching collegiately, that was your mission field. You, you had your own ministry as a baseball coach it was a ministry and still is i tell coaches that now i i guess i'm old and i tell the younger ones you are in ministry um and i i hear that a lot too uh, anytime you're in contact with other people you're in ministry and it doesn't have to be quote full-time ministry or ordained ministry we are all ministers of the gospel and so i don't regret one moment of my coaching career as far as it keeping me from um, sharing or keeping me from ministry because it was ministry. And I uh, tried to keep focus on that from the very beginning when I was 23 year old, years old and got, and became a, a middle school baseball coach by virtue of the previous coach from the other year handed me the key to the equipment room and said, it's yours. I'm done with it. And uh, it became a ministry and uh, I just transitioned in ministries in 2019 to a little different one mm -hmm. because teaching at a college, especially a public one, is a ministry too. So I would encourage anyone who is considering going into the ministry to think and realize you're already in the ministry. Um, whatever situation you're in, God has put you there for a reason. During all your years coaching at the college level and, and obviously living out your faith at the same time, did you ever run into any opposition? People who said, hey, you can't do that here or you shouldn't yes. do that here? Yes. And it didn't happen at Gardner-Webb because um, in 2002, one of the things when I made a decision to leave uh, Lander University, which I love down in Greenwood, South Carolina, mm -hmm. um, is because it was a private Christian school and I would have a lot more freedom uh, with with my my team and my program. Uh, when I first got to Lander University in 1997, I uh, actually was the first coach ever in history. I essentially, they hired me to start the program. Um, and so that first year, I included um, optional devotions for, for 
for players on Sunday morning and nothing was forced. Uh, but an article came out and we had some initial success a whole lot sooner than anybody thought. So they did an article about me and I made the statement in the article that I'm here to honor and glorify the Lord. And if I coach a little baseball along the way, then that's fine too. And I, I want to try to give you a short synopsis of this, but uh, there was a, uh, that article came out on a Monday and within three or days or so, the athletic director called me in who was on my side and said, we got a problem there. There's, he said, I want you to read this. And it was a petition on campus from some faculty members to get me fired immediately and terminated for abusing my position for, to try to perpetuate a specific religion. Boy, they had it written up good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he looked at me and he looked at my reaction and I started smiling. And this is, uh, I can remember to this day. And he goes, I, I got to ask, why are you smiling? I said, hey, this is the first time in my life that my faith has offended somebody. Like, I feel fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's persecution, but this is validation for me. My faith has irritated somebody like. And I said, I'm standing behind this. And he goes, well, we got to meet with the president because this is serious. We met with our president at Lander and he sat down. He's a great guy. And he said, hey, I just got a few questions about the article because they won't. They're demanding a retraction and a new article. And you take I said, sir, I'm not taking back anything I said in that article. Um, I realized the newspaper reporter was trying to stir up some things and he and they and he was looking for some controversy. But and we all knew that. But I said, I said exactly what he's what he printed. And I'm not taking that back. He said, OK. He said, here's what I need to know. Are you using your position as the coach to only recruit Christians? How, how do you decide who's on your baseball team? And I said, it is not a factor what somebody's spiritual faith background or lack thereof. I recruit based on talent and fit for Lander academically and character wise. And that's how I pick our team. He said, that's all I need to hear. I'll take care of the faculty. You keep coaching. Um, and so that was the time I met opposition. The other times I coached for at private schools, mm-hmm. wasn't any opposition much. So what did you, a, what would you, what did you learn through that? Oh, I learned to stand up for your faith. And, and, and I remember some of my friends rallying behind me once they found this out. And one guy from our church said, Hey, this is not going to happen. I know a lawyer. We're going to win this if they come after you. I've got a lawyer ready that's going that can easily represent you. And I remember I didn't tell my wife for a while because I didn't want her to worry about it. But I remember during that time thinking, never once did I think, oh, I might have overdone it. I might have overstepped my back. I remember mm-hmm. thinking, this is great. Imagine if I lose my job over this, the platform, it's now going to give me mm-hmm. as I'm searching for the next job to feed my family. And I knew God would take care of when you stand up for God. And I feel like that's what I was doing. I haven't done all that, that well at that at all times in my life, but I did then. And I felt like every moment I had this peace that God kept saying, I've got this. I've got this. Regardless how it turns out, I've got you. And this is going to be for the glory of my kingdom. So what I learned from that is stand up for what you believe. I'm at a public institution now and I have been. So we're under the authority of some things that we can and can't do. That doesn't mean I'm. it means when I get opportunities to do them, though, I'm not going to back down. Right. And 
I, I can't help but think as you're talking there, one thing that you can't do, one thing I can't do, one thing any Christ follower can't do, in my opinion, is intentionally seek out opportunities to be persecuted because that's that's self-serving. And I get the sense, Rusty, and you may or may not, you can tell me, I get the sense there are some people in the Christian world who that's their mode of operation. And they're, they're far too comfortable not just playing the victim, but looking for chances to be the victim, if you understand where I'm going. I do. And when I say that, I don't want to be any bit critical of any Christian brothers or sisters of mine, but I do agree that there are times when some folks will intentionally bust through the door or walk over the line to try to create and stir. And I don't think Jesus ever really did that. I know he had some righteous anger toward the in the temple, but I think he tried to, uh, you can't bully people into the kingdom of God. You love them into the kingdom of God. You show them compassion. And if you are making a stand and you are attacked for that, you have a right to defend that. But to go pick uh, battles, try to pick fights with people, that's not my conviction. That may be somebody else's. Um, but I don't think we back down when we get a chance. But I have had conversations with people that said, you know, you should do this in class because then you, you, you might get in trouble and then that could bring a platform. And I don't really think that's exactly what God wants me to do. He may have somebody. I, I get protests and all that. I get standing. I, I understand all that. Uh, but for me, the best way to use my platform from the kingdom for the kingdom is to show kindness, compassion, the love of Christ like he did when he was here. And if that gets threatened, then I'll I'll make my stand. Yeah, I, um, as you know, work for a, a very liberal private university. And there would be plenty of opportunities if I wanted to proceed in such a manner to do just what we're talking about here. But... I just can't see where that is bringing glory to God. That's bringing attention or would be bringing attention to Dan if I were actively seeking ways to be a martyr. That, well, that, see, that, I, that, I think that's perfect. Go ahead. Keep no, going. no, I, I was just, I was, I was just going to say, not that the temptation's not been there on, on, on some of the things that I see on a, on a regular basis, but my job is to, live my faith the best I can and let Jesus be seen through me and, and not put myself in front of the cross by going out and creating opportunities to be a martyr or a victim. I don't think that's the way it works. And that's just my opinion. Yeah. And I think you're, I think you're right on that. I think what, what God has, the way I interpret the verses um, in the Bible where it says to stand in the gap, uh, that, that God needs people to stand in the gap. Well, the reason he needs people to stand in the gap is because there's a gap there. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't say go, go carve a gap. It says stand in that gap. And I think when we try to bust down some walls and force the issue on some things that we might not be as much standing in the gap as we are creating unnecessary division. Visiting with Rusty Strap uh, on this week's edition of the uh, Dan Scott Show. 
you coached a lot of players over your time. Uh, I was just strolling through some of your social media stuff, and and, and you've got some former players who are are doing well. That, that's got to be very satisfying for you to see guys that came through Tiny Gardner Webb who are on the precipice maybe of, of hitting the big time and, and achieving that dream of, of getting to the big leagues. Uh, you, you had some talented young men come through there. I have, and I've been fortunate in my career to coach um, three uh, of my players eventually ended up in the major leagues, uh, which is great. And um, one has is back down in AAA now, and I think he's got a great chance to be back up this year. The other two, um, well, one is in, in AA. I just talked to him yesterday. And I tell those guys the same thing every time when I talk to them. I said, look, no matter what you end up doing in the bigs or if you – uh, get released or whatever like I'm more concerned with the man you are than I am the player you are be a good father be a good husband be a good Christian I'm as proud of those young men and the ones who went to I've got one I'm a proud of one young man who never played any pro ball he's a Chick-fil-a um, franchise uh, one of the owners mm-hmm. of one of the stores and uh, I'm just as proud of him so yes I had some guys make the bigs which I would remind any players that you can, if, if you put up numbers or if you play well at any level, you can get noticed. Um, but more importantly, your character is going to take you further. Even if you make the bigs and stay there five or six years, you're only 30 some years when your career ends. You've got a lot of years left to be who you are and don't let that identity, mm-hmm. don't let your identity be what your stats were in baseball or what your accomplishments were in any sport. Let your identity be a child of God connected to God through Christ. It's one of the things that I had to learn in broadcasting uh, over the last handful of years um, is that it's what I do. It's not who I am. And right. and, and it's easy to lose your identity uh, in your business, especially if you have, you know, even, even moderate success in whatever it is that can become your identity if you're not careful. But the, the thing that I love Rusty and and what I'm hearing is is that whether it's a guy who becomes a Chick-fil-A owner, if it's a guy who's in the big leagues, the relationships that you built with them while they were there have carried beyond just their time at Gardner Webb. They still, consider you to be a mentor and an influence in their life and i can't get them to not call me coach i mean i, I coach <laughs> guys, I'm, I'm 60 now and i my first crowd that i coached when i first got out they're 54 and 55 i was pretty and they still say coach and i'm like hey, you don't really have to do that. no you'll always be coach and i appreciate that and i do have um social media has really people bash it all the time but it's like anything it can be used for good and bad but uh we, I have been able to stay connected. I have been able to see pictures of my former players and their families. I have been able to have text. I have a text group with a number of my former players, and we exchange uh, Bible verses and prayer requests and just greetings occasionally on holidays. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. One of the things that I dedicated myself to and felt like God was leading me to do when I finished coaching in 2019. Um, when I retired from college coaching baseball, I knew that my coaching career wasn't over. I am now dedicated to being a resource, um, being a mentor, being there 
for my former players for the rest of my life. I'll still be, have that coaching ministry. Mm -hmm. I just won't be doing it on the field anymore. What did maybe something that you took from coaching in all those years, how, how has that helped you in this stage of your life? Not just necessarily as, as a, a teaching professor, but in what you're doing as far as the interim pastorship, which has become your ministry, anything from your, your time as a baseball coach help you as to what you're doing now? Yes. You, you meet people where they are. Um, we tend to, uh, I tended to as a coach, if you're not careful to evaluate people on what they can do for you. So if you're a coach, we're always out recruiting saying he could help us as an infielder. He could hit, he could help us win. How much is he contributing to? So we tend to robotically turn people into commodities. Commodities are things that can be useful to us. And I had to really get out of that mindset. As a coach, I have to evaluate. There's no way around that. But I got to see a person behind that. And I think sometimes the same thing happens when I'm teaching now. I try to meet every student where they are, who they are, and not. So, for example, if one of them's a little high maintenance, so what? They're high maintenance. That doesn't mean I treat them any different than I would that one student who's making straight A's that does everything I ask. They're there for a reason, and I got to meet them where they are. In churches, and this is something I would say to pastors, this really helped me in coaching. Uh, once I got into pastoring, that, to answer your question directly, is pastors can see their congregations as commodities. How much are they going to contribute financially? How much are they going to volunteer for a um, a committee? What are they contributing to this church? How are they going to help me get my agenda onto this church? Like, what good are they doing this church? Mm -hmm. And that is such not the way we should view the people in our congregation, not as what they can contribute, but how we can serve them. Jesus had a servant leadership heart. And as pastors, we need to do the same thing and not view our congregation. I would never say my congregation. I never, as a coach, said my players. I would say our program or our team because they don't belong to me. They never have. The members of a church or the players on a team are not my players in terms of me possessing them. Mm -hmm. If I use the word my, it would be loosely, not as if they belong to me. So I think that's been a major, I think it really helped me when I got into pastoring and teaching to really view people and, and, and try to see them for who they are, not what they can give to me or anything else. There's a great debate now and a lot of hand-wringing uh, about kids in general, perhaps athletes specifically, being different today than they were a generation ago. Your coaching career spanned a lot of years. What has yeah. changed? What has changed more, the kids themselves, or the way we have approached coaching and teaching and bringing up our kids? Both. The, uh, from a coaching standpoint, and, and I think college football shows us this the most. Old school college football was kind of grinded out, you know, and it, but now you can't have a successful program in college football and I would say in baseball or any without developing some kind of relationship between coaches and their players, creating that family atmosphere, that culture, 
giving them something beyond that sport. And there are a lot of good examples of programs that do it. You know, everybody claims now the family atmosphere, but you can't not do that now. You you have to give them something beyond just making them a better player. It has to be the, the holistic approach with the players. And, and I say this very passionately. I think one of our biggest mistakes as coaches and as a generation of folks who have aged is to start bashing the younger generation. Start talking, well, back in the day when I had that team 20 years ago, they just did this. There were things, problems with the team 20 years ago, too, I can promise you. I think our players in my last 10 years were maybe a little more dedicated to the game. They had to put in more time than I ever had to with early morning lifts and all that. And then we call them um, – the trophy generation, we say, yeah, they grew up where everybody's getting a trophy. And I would be very quick to remind people that that is not their fault. Who gave out the trophies when they were six and seven? We did, the parents. We're the ones that handed everybody a trophy. And yet we're blaming them for being spoiled. And we're blaming them for being the trophy generation, the me generation. And we created that. I I take offense to people that bash this new generation of of youth and and of college players because I think they're fantastic. I think they've got problems. I think they've got issues like we did. They're just different. But I think there's great hope in that generation. And the less we criticize and the more we try to understand and develop connections, the better the world's going to be. I know you've got to uh, get on to something else here, so I'll I'll wrap it up with with this question. Uh, Where do you see yourself in 10 years? I try very hard not to do that. <laughs> I try very hard to live with this. And I don't mean to evade that question. No, I would love to be a, uh, I got three sons. One's engaged. Uh, they're adult sons. I would love to be a grandfather who's probably retired from, from what we would call um, work. Uh, I'll never retire from uh, ministry in terms of trying to do what I do each day and being a husband and a father and a, hopefully a grandfather by the end, but I really try not to do, I really try to say to God, when I wake up each morning, Psalm 118, 24, this is the day that you have made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Tell me what you want today and really try to live that tomorrow. will take care of tomorrow if, if I live in the now. So I really don't see myself. I, I probably have a little less hair. I hope I'm still alive, but, uh, <laughs> um, I really just have tried to live in the now. I tried to do that with my children because people always said, yeah, they'll grow up quick and then you'll miss when they're little. Well, I don't miss when they're little. Um, I enjoyed when they were little, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed when they got old enough for us to go to a restaurant where we could sit there and eat and not have <laughs> all the commotion. I enjoyed when they became teenagers and we could go fishing together and hunting together and play ball together. I enjoyed when they're adults. And they come home and visit and we can talk like me. I'm just going to take each stage of life and enjoy it for what it is and not wish away the past or the future. And, you know, that is a wonderful piece of advice for all of us. Speaking for myself, as obviously that's all I can do, but I would imagine I'm not the only one who has done this, is thinking back to times past the quote-unquote good old days or a simpler time and getting a little too lost perhaps 
in things that have already happened that you don't have any control over. And I was thinking about this not too long ago. We, we always talk about we want things to be the way they were in the good old days, right? Well, when you're a kid, and that's usually the good old days that you're talking about, one of the reasons those days were good is because you didn't have any of the responsibility of being an adult. Uh, you know, I was shielded from all of the problems that my parents were going through. Uh, didn't watch a lot of uh, political type television or anything like that. I just had a great childhood where I was playing a lot of sports and I was always outside and we were climbing in the hills in West Virginia and just doing doing the things that kids do. So naturally, you're going to look back on that time in your life and say, man, those were the good old days. Well, A, they were good. They were fantastic days. But B, the reason they were the good old days is because I didn't have any adult responsibilities. I didn't have the worries of raising a family. I didn't have the worries of finding a job or keeping a job or job security or any of of those things. I didn't have to worry about all of the issues that you have as an adult because I was allowed to be a kid. So naturally, to me, those are going to be the good old days. So I, I, I really like that, the way that Rusty Strap closed our conversation there. Don't wish away the past or the future. Don't get lost too much in looking back. And don't get in such a rush to get to what's ahead that you miss what you're doing and more importantly what God is calling you to do right now that's great stuff Rusty Strap thank you so much for your time we'll take a break and come back and get into the final segment of the show right after this Grand Slam Ministries exists to glorify Jesus Christ in multiple ways through this radio show and its accompanying online digital and video components through our sister websites danscottshow.org and grandslamministries.org and through furthering our core missions, mentorship, and providing food and other necessities to children. None of this is possible without your prayers and support. By making a gift to Grand Slam Ministries today, you'll not only help with this program and keep it on this radio station, you'll help us grow our family of stations allowing us to bring stories of God working in the lives of men and women everywhere to a larger audience. And at the same time, your gift will help us in the initial launch of those core mission programs. Grand Slam Ministries is in its infancy. We need your support. Will you help us today? Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, and prayerfully consider a one-time or monthly gift today. And above and beyond anything else, please pray for our ministry. Thank you, and God bless. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men 
and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Final segment of the show. And again, our thanks to Rusty Strap for being this week's guest. You guys know me. If I can talk Jesus and baseball in the same conversation, I'm usually a happy guy. And I first came across Rusty years ago when I was doing baseball on the radio for Clemson University a long time ago. And then when I moved over to Furman University, uh, Furman and Gardner-Webb played non-conference about every year so seemingly we were making a trip to Gardner-Webb every season got to see how Rusty interacted with uh, Furman's coach the the first one I worked under uh, Ron Smith and, and then later Brett Harker was always such an upbeat positive guy and at the time I did not know about his faith uh, so to, to get a chance to talk about his faith and this conversation today was was really good so I appreciate Rusty giving us the time from his easy chair in his office. Hey coming up just a a little programming note uh, over the course of the next few weeks we've got some pretty heavy hitters lined up for you on the show. Um, Abby Johnson will be next week's guest. You uh, if you've seen the movie Unplanned it's about Abby Johnson and uh, she is the one who has founded And Then There Were None, which is the organization working to bring workers out of the abortion industry and minister to them. Recall last week's guest, Kelly Lester, she works for Abby's foundation. Abby was uh, a former Planned Parenthood facility director, and uh, Jesus got hold of her, and she came out of that and into where she is now as a staunch a pro-life advocate sharing her faith and her passion to save babies and bring them out of the uh, bring workers out of the abortion industry. So Abby Johnson is next week. After her, we have Shane Pruitt with the North American Missions Board, a uh, dynamic young preacher who uh, is also going through a personal tragedy right now with the loss of his adopted son Titus. Uh, he and his wife have been very public about that and so we we talk about the impact Titus had and continues to have on not just Shane and his wife but on many many other people all around the country and what he's doing with something called revival generation you're going to enjoy that one Javis Austin a former Clemson University football player who at one point in his life put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger and God spared his life 
and what he has done with Javis in the ensuing 25 years is an amazing story. He's coming up in a few weeks. And then also uh, former big league pitcher Rick Horton will be a guest in the coming weeks as well. He is now a broadcaster with the St. Louis Cardinals and is also heavily involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So all of that is coming up in the next few weeks here on the Dan Scott Show as we continue working to bring you these guests who have amazing stories of the redemptive grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. So I hope that uh, you are enjoying these interviews, and I hope that you're getting something out of them. Mention we want to hear from you. Dan at danscottshow.org is the email address. That's the easiest way to get in touch with us. If you go to the website, danscottshow.org, there's a contact form there, and you can email us that way. And I promise you I respond to each and every one that we get. And I'll just remind you that we need your support. We need your prayers, but we also need your financial support here on the show to continue to do what we are doing on the radio and continue to grow the audience, grow our affiliate base, and also get our core missions funded. So please prayerfully consider making a gift of any size. Our goal is to get 200 people giving $25 a month and 200 people giving $10 a month. If you can help us along that, what this thing could grow into in a very short period of time uh, would be amazing. But I just pray that uh, you'll pray about ways that you can help us here. And, And more than anything, obviously, we need your prayers to make sure that we are staying in the right direction and staying in the center of God's will and not trying to get ahead of him on any of this. That is going to do it for this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Rusty Strap. If you missed any of it or want to recapture any of our other interviews, just go to danscottshow.org to the Affiliates and Archives page. We will see you back here again next week, same time, same place, when our guests will be Abby Johnson from the unplanned movie. Until then, I'm Dan Scott. God bless you. So long, everybody.